0: amen let's stand and take our bibles please i want to stay right on target if we can first thessalonians chapter 2 first thessalonians 2 and uh, look around if your neighbor doesn't have a bible if you'd be kind enough to share your bible with them that'd be a blessing first thessalonians chapter 2 we're in the king james version of the bible so please make sure you have the right version if you don't please share with someone else and we're praying tonight that god will feed our souls and speak to our hearts first thessalonians 2 all right we're going to read 12 verses tonight so what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'll start with the even number of verses I'm going to ask as a congregation we'll do like we did Sunday I'm going to ask you to read the even number of verses but I want you to read loudly clearly distinctly and read loud enough to make the sound annoying to your neighbor next to you okay so I want you to do that tonight so we can make sure people are just not mumbling here we're not a mumbling church and we're not a murmuring church amen and uh, we just want to just just read the Word of God very loudly and make sure everybody hears each other okay I'll start you go to, you start with the even number of verses okay For for yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. Congregation, but even. <coughs> For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Congregation, For neither at any time used we flattering words as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Congregation. Nor of men we glory, neither of you, nor But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, we, because we would not be chargeable unto any you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. We are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblamably we have ourselves unto you. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, altogether, that you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and his glory. Father, tonight, I'm so thankful. Just the reading of your word, what a blessing that was just these last few moments. And uh, God, what a, what a challenging portion of Scripture. I'm thinking about every one of these words and every one of these sentences. And Lord, how uh, just very piercing and yet very comforting and let encouraging those verses are. And God, would you do a work in our heart that, Lord, would just help us to uh, attain to new levels of spiritual growth and a walk with God. And as we approach this sermon tonight, message, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, I pray that you just help us to rest in the Lord and wait upon you to worship you, Lord, in the beauty of holiness as the word of God is being preached. But Lord, with anticipation, we pray that, God, you do a deep thorough work in our heart. We pray, Father, for stirring of our souls, and we pray for something, God, fresh that you'll give us and help our lives give glory to you. Bless our time together. Thank you for this good congregation. We pray for these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. What motivates you to do what you do? What motivates you? What challenges you? Uh, What motivates you to get out of bed in the morning? Amen. You know, what motivates you to go on? I mean, those are, those are good questions we have to ask, you know. And I think as we ask that question, what motivates us, there, there's these underlying questions about that. Is it financial compensation? Uh, is it the fame and recognition for what we do? Is it the position that you covet? I mean, what motivates you to do what you do? Years ago, this advertiser came in a London, London newspaper and said this, men want it for hazardous journey, small wages. Bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Now I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like a one ant to me, you know. But it's amazing that many, many hundreds, and they say thousands of responses came from men eager to sacrifice everything for the prospect of a meaningful adventure. Of course, that advertisement was placed sir, by Sir Ernest Shackleton, at, who, uh, who was the explorer that founded Antarctica and the South Pole. And, uh, you know, many of those people, really, they were just kind of pioneers, just trying to figure it all out. They really didn't understand navigation as far as how the glaciers opened and closed and, and the, frigid, the frigid coldness that was there and animal life. I mean, all of this was new to them. And yet, to have a man put something like his men wanted for hazardous journey, and have thousands of men uh, respond is it is amazing thing. And tonight I want to propose to you this this idea. Do you have the right motive for the propagation of the gospel message in ministry? Paul is writing here to people that were dear to him. He's not writing to them about about why they're where they're at and what God was doing in their heart. And these 12 verses, Paul is writing to them about why he went there. He's writing to them about why he spent time with them, what motivated him, what compelled him, what drove him, what was the stirring in his heart. And you know, tonight we we just want to look at the question, what motivates you or what should motivate you to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ? I think if we're honest with each other, I think we know that they're just trying to get started. So winning is a very difficult thing and trying to stay motivated at winning souls can be a very difficult thing. Uh, I've been doing this for a long time, but I have to be real honest with you. Whenever I go soul winning, the first two or three homes you knock on, you just feel kind of very rusty about that. You feel like, man, just, you know, and then you find about, about five or six houses down the street. You're like, hey, I'm starting to get back into it right now like I used to be, but it can be a little daunting sometimes and if you go to a new street you haven't been to before and you just kind of wonder how it's all going to turn out there. But, you know, we have to ask ourselves a question. Are you motivated? Are you stirred? What's your motive for Doing what you do, and tonight we want to just do a close examination of this gospel ministry that Paul had, and uh, the kind of motivation it took to keep the fire burning for him. Because tonight, you know, we have to find some means of sustainability to keep us going. We have to find some means to keep the fire burning and going. I want you to notice in our passage of scripture tonight that in the first twelve verses, the gospel is mentioned four different times. It's mentioned in verse two. It's mentioned in verse four. It's mentioned in verse eight. It's mentioned in verse nine. Paul had something to say about the gospel is very important. We want to look at the motive we need to have for the gospel ministry. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to know why he went there and why his, that motive he had was something that stirred him. And he wants us to know that if Paul had to do it all over again, he would have done it the very same way. I don't think Paul would have changed anything. I, would have done, I think he would have done everything the exact same way he did it there. And I think we need to learn something from here. Because even though this was written almost 2,000 years ago, I think the principles are timeless. I think what applied then still applies now. I believe that God can use that in our hearts as as God did it in Paul's life. I want you to see the motive of the faithful soul winner tonight. I want you to just take some notes tonight. It's kind of more of a teaching lesson tonight. I want you to see the motive of the faithful soul winner and the testimony of the gospel. First of all, would you notice the splendor? Let us see the gospel ministry and the splendor of the gospel ministry. Notice again, the the word for gospel, the gospel of God, is referenced in verse 2. It's referenced in verse 4, it's referenced in verse 8, and it's referenced in verse 9. Note, tonight, as we look at this, I'm reminded this evening of something Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 4. He called the gospel glorious. In 1 Timothy 1.11, as he wrote his own testimony, he said, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, you know, your, your choice of adjectives to describe a noun are very important. If you have the right adjective, it really gives color to the word. If you have a dull adjective. It just makes it boring. And Paul chose a very colorful, very very bright, a very enlightening word to describe the gospel. In 1 Timothy 1.11, he calls it the glorious gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15.4, Paul defines the gospel as Christ crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. In Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is God's good news. But notice tonight, as we look at this passage of Scripture, would you Consider with me this evening the gospel and its dependability. What makes the gospel splendid, what makes it wonderful, what makes it a blessing, what gives it endurance is the fact that we have a dependable gospel. The gospel can be trusted. The gospel can be, you can trust the gospel tonight. And and as we look at that, I want you to consider with me this, this thought tonight. First of all, there's only one gospel. Only one gospel. Look what Paul said in Galatians 1, verses 6 to 9, as he defended the idea of one true gospel. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now the word another, if you get into your, deep into your study, you find it's the word hetero. You know, we talk about heterosexuals. You know, that's being opposites. Man and woman. Hetero means other, another. And so he says here, he says this is the word another gospel. They were going to another gospel. It was not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a gospel according to works. Notice verse 7. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, that's kind of interesting, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed or anathema. As we have said before, so I say now again unto you, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than you have received, let him be accursed. Now the gospel is glorious, and the gospel is powerful, but I'm reminded tonight that there's only one true gospel. And beloved, as an independent, fundamental Baptist church, we must hold tightly to the fact and the truth that there's only one true gospel. There is no other gospel. May I say to you tonight, the Jehovah Witnesses and Kingdom Hall is not the true gospel. May I remind you tonight that Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the Mormon Tabernacle, that is not the true gospel. May I remind you tonight that Roman Catholicism is not the true gospel. May I remind you tonight that Buddhism is not the true gospel. Islam is not the true gospel. Listen, Pentecostalism and the charismatic churches are not the true gospel. Hinduism and Eastern mysticism are not the true gospel. Listen, the true gospel is what's been given to us, given to us according to the Bible here. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, that is the true gospel. Which we read through the Bible, we not only find that we have the true gospel. But we notice secondly that the gospel is everlasting. According to Revelation 14, 6, the apostle John said, and I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. Hey, I'm thankful the gospel is everlasting. It doesn't have a time limit. It doesn't have a time out. It is everlasting like the author himself is everlasting. Thank God for that tonight. Thirdly, the gospel does not fail. Aren't you glad about that tonight? The gospel doesn't fail here in America. The gospel doesn't fail in Sri Lanka. The gospel doesn't fail in India. The gospel doesn't fail in Nepal. The gospel doesn't fail in Russia. The gospel does not fail in Italy. The gospel does not fail in Norway. The gospel does not fail in in, in Erie and Jaya. Listen, it doesn't matter where in the world the gospel goes. The gospel does not fail because it is the power of God unto salvation. I remind you tonight as we go knock on some doors. And we go into neighborhoods that we consider hard and neighborhoods perhaps where we don't really know what's going on and sometimes we feel, out of, we feel like a fish out of water. We go to an area where everybody on the street is non-English speaking and we wonder how are we are going to deal with this. I remind you tonight, we may feel inadequate but thank God we have a gospel that is more than adequate that can meet that need there. I remind you tonight that the gospel must be preached everywhere. Paul said in Romans 15 verses 19 and 20 through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Every time I read that, about Paul saying that he's fully preached the gospel. Man, that still is my heart because there's still more to be done. There are more streets to go on. There's more people to be sent out. There's more people to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then notice, if you would, in Philippians 1:17, the gospel is to be defended. Paul said this, but the other of love, knowing that I'm set for the defense of of the gospel hey listen tonight the gospel of jesus christ is everlasting and the gospel of jesus christ is glorious and it must be preached everywhere and it must be defended but beloved beyond all that let's remind ourselves this one thing the gospel is what god uses to save souls thank god tonight that the gospel is dependable we see the splendor of the gospel the gospel is dependable but notice something else that paul mentions in this chapter the gospel has been deposited The gospel has been deposited. Look at verse 2, if you would with me, please. Verse 4, excuse me. Because we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. We were put in trust with the gospel. And by fact, I like how Paul words this in verse 4. We were allowed of God. God found us worthy to be entrusted with this message and to be entrusted with the power that goes behind that message. We're stewards of the gospel message. And I remind you tonight, if you have time, to read Luke chapter 19 about the parable of the pounds. And is that as that manager came, that owner came and divvied out those pounds, those pounds being representation of the gospel, he said, you know, occupy till I come. And he was telling each one of those stewards, you're to take this and you're to multiply it and make it to work. I remind you tonight, brothers and sisters in Christ, those are pounds that God has given to us. I remind you the story this evening of a, of a, of a, of a a beach where the, the, the tide had brought in a lot of starfish, and the starfish literally had littered the entire beach landscape. A lot of them had been stranded on that beach, and a man was walking the beach that particular morning and noticed that the beach was just kind of just littered away with all these starfish there. And he thought, what a tragic thing, how terrible that all these starfish, which really are going to die here in the sun, they need to be back in the water, but they're stranded and, and littered here on, 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 the, on the beach here. And as he kept on walking, he saw a little boy that was there, and the little boy was picking one starfish at a time, and he was just kind of throwing it back in the the water and he take another one he'd throw it back in the water. He'd take another one he throw it back in the water. And so the man finally caught up with the little boy He said, boy, what are you doing? He says, you know what? I just want to get these starfish back in the water because they're going to die if they don't get in the water. And he says, son, look around you. Look around you. There are starfish littered everywhere on this beach. The sun is going to be at its height, and it's going to be hot very soon. Many of the starfish die. Do you really think you can make a difference by throwing one at a time? And the little boy said, it matters to this one at least. And I remind you, tonight as stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it matters to the next one. You get the gospel too. We may pick it up like a starfish. You feel like we're not making a dent. But I remind you, tonight we've got to do everything we can to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, the gospel has been deposited to our trust. Paul was a faithful soul winner. He didn't let persecution, he didn't let problems, he didn't let people issues get in his way. He kept on doing the main thing, what God had called him to do, and that was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the splendor of the gospel. But notice secondly tonight, if you look at chapter 2, notice the spite of the gospel. Now the spite of the gospel is referring to those who contended with the gospel, who were in opposition to the gospel, who despised the gospel and wanted nothing to do with it. Notice Paul starts off 1 Thessalonians 2 by referring in verse 2 uh, to the hostilities and to the problems he faced. Notice he said in verse 1 and 2 For you yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you that it was not in vain. He's saying this now, now when we came to you, you know what kind of circumstances we came out of. You know how bad it was for us. And I'll elaborate on that in a minute. And he said in verse 2, but even after we had suffered before, you want to circle those two words, suffered before, and then notice, and were shamefully treated, and circle those words, shamefully treated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our gospel to speak unto the gospel of God with much contention. While, while there are some of us who hold up the gospel, there are those who also hate the gospel. And where there are those of us who represent the gospel, there are those who revile the gospel. i just go knocking on doors for a little bit there. And going to some difficult areas, and actually going to some very well-to-do areas, and you meet people in those well-to-do areas that really want to have nothing to do with you and me and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is referring here about the suffering he went through and the shameful treatment. Now, as we consider that tonight, would you notice how the spite of the gospel is a motive? Just like the splendor of the gospel is a motive, the spite of the gospel is a motive. It's a motive for you, and it's a motive for me. It was a motive for the Apostle Paul. Notice the first thing we see here are the hostile beatings that the Apostle Paul endured. He talks about here in verse 2, these beatings that he endured. And we've got to go back for a minute, back to to Acts chapter 16. You might want to turn there for just a moment, but Acts chapter 16 to refresh our minds and memories to all that Paul had endured there. He describes it in verse 2, and those people Thessalonica knew all about it because he says we had suffered before four and were shamefully treated. You know the story there if you read Acts chapter 16. Paul was having a very successful campaign. It was the very first city in Macedonia that he'd gone to uh, for the preaching of the gospel on his second missionary tour. And God was blessing. I mean, they were seeing people saved and God was doing some things there. And there, we don't read about it in, in the city of Philippi where there was a synagogue of the Jews where Paul could preach the gospel, work with the Jews. And we're told he went down to a riverside there and he, just where some women met for prayer. And he started talking to the women with his gospel preaching team. And it a woman by the name of Lydia got saved. And Lydia opened her home up. She opened her heart first, praise God, and then she opened her home. And uh, she said, hey, you can meet here. And so the church had a meeting place and God was just blessing. And then a teenager that was that was being bothered with demons and people were taking advantage of her, she got saved. Well, that wasn't, that didn't sit, sit very well with some of the people that were using that teenager. And so they took Paul and, uh, and they took Silas and the Bible tells us they beat them and they afflicted them and they hurt them and they put stripes on their backs and then they stuck them in stocks and they stripped their clothes off. of I me. Mean, they were in a very humiliating situation there. And uh, the Bible says, he describes it this way. Everything they endured at that point, that they were suffering. And then later on, they took him and cast him in the prison. I mean, it just was a bad situation. And Paul now, he's at Thessalonica. And you have to remember, Paul and Silas, they were hurt pretty bad. The Bible describes that they had stripes that were laid on their backs there. They were scourged by, by the scourging there. And so you can imagine, they weren't completely healed from the wounds they received there at Philippi. And you can imagine that if it had been someone like you and me, perhaps Just the the trauma of that would still cause us to have nightmares at night and to be kind of traumatized. And some of us, if we just get offended, we're just, we're a little bit gun shy about going back to doing the same thing again there. And so, but Paul goes on with boldness there to Thessalonica. And you have to imagine, he's going, there. probably not walking as fast as he did before. He's walked a hundred miles, they say, on the Via Ignatia road. And that's one of the reasons why God sent him to the area of Macedonia, because the highway system there on the Via Ignatia gave him access to all those cities. He had immediate access on well-paved roads to get there. And so he's walking to Via Ignatia. He walked a hundred miles with Silas and with Luke and Timothy, and they're walking their way there. But you got to imagine, these men have been hurt, and these men have been traumatized, and these men have scars on their backs. And they, they've, got, uh, they've got welts on their ankles and on their wrists, and they're hurting there. And you can imagine they got there that sometimes the people were looking and say, What happened to you? He probably explained to them that he was hurt. Look what he describes here in verse 2. We had suffered before. Listen, they were beaten. They were scourged. They had many stripes laid on them. They were held and stopped, They were, j- they were, they were, they were, they were jailbirds. Amen? They were in prison there. They had scars and pain and hurt. They suffered before. But then you think about the, the, the shameful treatment. This is one thing to be hurt. It's another thing to be, to be shamed and embarrassed. And they, they, uh, they kind of understood what Jesus went through when they stripped him of his clothes. They stripped Paul and Silas of their clothes. And they're maybe, hopefully at least in their underwear. They're, they're, they're lying, they're in the stocks, and they were shamefully treated, and they were called bad names. And at that time, the Philippians did not know that they were Roman citizens. Otherwise, they would not have done any of those things. And then they threw them into prison. And I mean, just all these indignities that were ga- given to them. And you can imagine as the crowds got around something like that, they were ridiculed, and they were called nasty, names and they were called different things there. And then later on, when the magistrates found out that Paul and Silas were Romans, they didn't even say sorry. They said, hey, you know what? Just get, leave our city. Get out of here. We don't want nothing to do with you. I mean, you can imagine that situation. If that was the average Christian and today's Christianity, they would have said like this, if that's Christianity... I want nothing to do with it. But that wasn't Paul and that wasn't Silas and that wasn't Luke and that wasn't Timothy. Listen, they said, yes, we suffered before and we were shamefully treated. And yes, we had those holy beatings and yes, with those, 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 those hostile beatings. But, but notice, if you would, all of that led to a holy boldness in Paul's part. And we get over here to verse 2 and it says this. He says, but after that we were suffered before we were shapely treated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Listen, those hostile beatings resulted in a holy boldness. It stirred their hearts. They said, you know what? That just gives us more of an impetus to go on. It gives us more of a motive to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, there are more cities to reach. And he said, they were thinking their mind, if that's what it takes to, to, to represent Jesus, we're willing to do it again. And they said the listen, we can do with those scars. We can do with our minds being haunted. We can do with those beatings. We can do because we were bold in our God. We just determined we're not going to let any of those people or things keep us from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you look at verse 2, notice Paul preached with courage. We get over to Acts chapter 17, and it tells us there how he reasoned with them, opening, alleging from the Scriptures and the Word of God. He preached with more courage. He preached with more confidence. He preached with more conviction. He preached with more conviction. May I say this tonight? The suffering made him bolder, but the suffering also made him better. May I remind you tonight, every now and then, we might have to go through a season of difficulty in terms of witnessing. And we may have to go through a time where it may be hard, and people will turn their backs to us. It might be you're trying to witness to a family member, a family friend, and tell them about... How much Jesus loves them and God loves them. And they may reject you. They may turn you away. But remind you tonight, it it, it will hurt you a little bit there. But it will make you bolder. But it will make you better. I I encourage you tonight, if you want to grow in the Christian faith. If you want to take another step and notch up in terms of living for Jesus Christ. Go be a witness for Jesus Christ. Be faithful. Take some gospel tracts. And take some Easter uh, flyers. And go out there and tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice something else. Paul endured these hostile beatings. And Paul had this holy bonus. But notice verse 1. Paul developed an honest belief. He said in verse 1, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you. Would you notice this next phrase? That it was not in vain. You know what he's saying there? We didn't waste our time. This wasn't futile. It wasn't vain. It wasn't without a purpose. I'm not sure if this goes to the mind of a lot of Christians, but I wonder tonight the reason why some people just are not winning souls and they're not being gospel witnesses because in the back of their mind, their heart of hearts are saying, it's a waste of time. But if you read the Apostle Paul, he says, Hey, our our entrance to you, when we came to Thessalonica, we determined it was not in vain. Let me remind you tonight, as we get prepared for this Easter musical and our, 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 our spring revival and inviting people and going the extra mile, whatever you do for Jesus, for the gospel, is not in vain. Man, it's not futile. It's not a waste of time. It's not without purpose. God blesses and uses that. And that's what God did in Paul's life. Let me tell you tonight, you're not wasting your time. And let me tell you tonight... You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not spinning your wheels, whatever you're doing. God makes you better. and God makes you bolder through all that. Let me remind you this evening as we prepare, Paul talked about later on how he gave himself night and day. And listen, when you consider the, what he put upon himself in getting the gospel out, we only ask the average church attending member if you can help us on someone and give us an hour a week. Hey, God, bless God, Paul gave night and day to that. Amen. Seven days a week to getting the gospel out to people. And I'm just saying tonight, we see Paul being stirred for the sake of the gospel ministry. Listen, his motive was because of the spite of the gospel. Yes, there was the spite that he received, and yes, there were beanies received, but it gave him holy boldness and it helped him have an honest belief that whatever he did was not in vain. i remind you tonight, if you're not involved in so many, you're not going to be doing it in vain. It's not a futile exercise. It's something worthwhile. God's looking down from heaven. God is witness, the Bible says here. And God knows that what we're going to do makes a difference in somebody else's life. But notice if you went thirdly, we see the splendor of the gospel. We see the spite of the gospel. but you notice the spirit of the gospel? Now, the spirit is the attitude and the motivation of the apostle Paul. The spirit is the kind of attitude and motive that pleases God. The spirit, if you would, tonight, the right spirit is what gives us sustainability. Now, we've got to have a right spirit about the gospel. We have to have a right spirit about being a soul winner. We have to have the right spirit about being a witness. Because you know what? If you go in the flesh, you're going to find after a short period of time, you're going to get tired. You're going to get weary, you're going to feel like backing off, you're going to feel like it's not worth it, you're going to feel like every street you go on is dry, you're going to feel like you're not going anywhere, and you're going to feel like your mind, you're spinning your wheels, and listen, all those negative thoughts, that didn't come from God, that's from the devil. The devil put those in your mind, okay? The devil will discourage you like that. And, you know, de- the devil, one of his great ploys, he uses discouragement to discourage us. We all get discouraged. We find some moments, that, uh, places where we get discouraged. And we have to just remind ourselves that's the devil doing. That's not from God. God is not the author of confusion. And God is not the author of discouragement. God is the author of encouragement. Amen? And so, when we look at these situations, wonder, why are we doing this? but well, we've got to have a right spirit. And we remind you tonight, a right spirit is what attracts and keeps people in the church. Now, as we read First Thessalonians 2, The spirit of a faithful soul winner is what led to the results that Paul had. Now, as you understand, as we get through this, these 12 verses, I want you to go back later tonight or this week and read Acts chapter 17 to see how he got the fruit that he did. Because one, one of the things we overlook sometimes when we read Acts chapter 17 is we forget that many believed on the Lord. And the many that believed on the Lord wasn't because Paul was necessarily a powerful preacher. It wasn't necessarily just he had the filling of the Spirit. But I believe everything Paul lists here, it was the Spirit that he had, this right Spirit that he had, that helped him to get it done. Because, you know, Paul didn't know how long he was going to stay there. And by the way, you don't know how long you're going to be around, and I don't know how long I'm going to be around, amen? We just don't know. And Paul was there, if we understand it right, maybe for less than two months. We know he preached three Sabbath days, may have been less than one month. But during that one-month period of time, he got more done than the average church does in five years. Whoa. Because, man, you go through the book of First Thessalonians, I mean, he talks about the fact, when we get down there talking about the rapture, they already knew what the rapture was about. He talks about it in first, first Thessalonians 5. You already know already. You, you don't need me to reteach this year. You already know about I mean, they were well in doctrine with every doctrine of Scripture. I mean, they didn't have a Bible institute at that time They're down at Thessalonica. But I guarantee you, whatever preaching Paul did and Timothy did, they were well-learned in the things of God there. And so as we get to Paul over here, we have to understand that Paul goes there. He's not there with them right now because as he writes his letter, he's over at Corinth. And he's writing this letter after getting a report from Timothy, we'll see in chapter 3, a report from Timothy, how they're doing. And he talks about that, you know, that, that what makes my faith excited is the fact that your faith is on fire and growing for God. But as he's writing chapter 2, he's talking about the spirit that he had. It's the spirit that he had that sustained him and res- it led to the result. I'm going to tell you tonight, your spirit determines what kind of results you're going to have. You've got to ask yourself a question tonight. What's your spirit like? People read our spirit on our face. They hear it in the inflection of our voice. They see the passion we have about going back after them. And you notice some things as Paul writes about the spirit that he had as a faithful sower. He's realizing, man, these people are watching me and God's watching me. And so we see some things about this right spirit. which you notice this tonight? Notice in verses 6 and 8. Notice the passion in our motive. He says, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes your children. And I want you to park on verse 8 with me for a minute, because man, every time I read verse 8, man, I feel like I want to just crawl under a hole. Because when I look at the model of Paul's passion, the passion and his motive, it just, it just reminds me, man, I, gotta, I have to work at this. I need God to help me here. And he said in verse 8, So being affectionately desirous. If you've never underlined those two words, you should underline them tonight. Being affectionately desirous of you We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. He was burdened for their spiritual destiny and welfare. He used the phrase, effectually desirous of you. You know what he's saying there? He says, man, I can't wait to be there. My one driver is I want to see you saved. And he says, man, you're talking about compassion, unlimited. You're talking about passion that drives him. He's like the this description about someone's passion, his bowels yearned within him. He just, he just desired, he just had a love for them. He just wanted to see them saved. And, uh, and notice something else here. He says in verse 8, he says, being affected, he desires it. We, we were willing to impart it unto you, not the gospel of God only. Now, now here's where a lot of us are at. The, what I'm going to tell you in a moment will change us. Where a lot of us are at, we know the academics, we give them the gospel. You know, the Romans wrote, you can give them the gospel. But Paul goes an extra step further. And you need to think about this tonight. Here's what he says. I didn't want to just give you the gospel. I just want to go through the. I didn't want to go through the motions. I just didn't want to go through the memorization. He says, I was willing to give you my own soul. Now you think about it for just a minute. He's saying here, I, I would gladly trade places with you. He said that many times in the epistles, did he not? I, I would gladly trade places with you. I would, I would impart my own soul for you. He's saying, I would give even my soul away so that you can be saved. I would trade places with you so you can be saved. He said, I didn't just want to give you the gospel. Man, he says, it bothered him and it burdened him at night that these people needed Jesus Christ as their Savior. Listen, let me. I wrote this down tonight. He said, you can't love soul winning." Unless you first love the souls of the people you're trying to reach. You can't love so many unless you first love the souls of the people you're trying to reach. And Paul is just saying here, he said he loved their souls. He loved them. They were dear to him. Let me remind you tonight, it's not a numbers game. It's a contest for the souls of men. And so Paul says here, being affectionate, desirous of you, we're willing to impart to you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. Listen tonight, would you be willing to trade places with the sinners so they could be saved? Would you give your own soul for them? Would you be willing to, as Paul said in in Romans 9, 3, to go to hell for them? That's what he's saying there. He's talking about giving his soul. And then notice the second thing he says. Notice in verse 7, I love this. We were gentle among you. Now, some of us need to learn something about it because we go in and, you know, there, there, there are people hostile to the gospel. And, and, you know, you have to realize we live in the Bay Area and, and people are a little suspicious when you go to their home. And, and they're a little bit in your face sometimes. And, and you know, they just, you know, sometimes they can be a little bit rude. And, you know, I've never had anybody very mean to me, but I've had people rude to me at their homes, you know. And uh, that, you know, you just have to work through that. And notice verse 7, he says, but we were gentle among you. Hey, can I tell you something tonight? Those Thessalonians were no different. They, 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 they were not easy people to get along with. Those Gentiles, a Jew talking to a Gentile, but he says, we were gentle among you. And notice what he says there, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. You know what he's saying there? He it. He's using a metaphor that is so, so easy to understand. And this metaphor is about a nursing mother. Now, a nursing mother is only one way a nursing mother nurses. She has to bring the baby close to her. She draws the baby close. You know what he's talking about there. He says, you know, when I came among you. I've made a determination, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to build close relationships with the people I'm meeting. And a lot of us, here's why, here's why, listen to me tonight, here's why, here's why we don't see the fruit we want to see. We're not interested in building those close relationships. I can go through our missionary list tonight with you, and the missionaries that are thriving and seeing souls saved consistently, are missionaries doing exactly what verse 7 says. They're like a gentle nurse... Drawing the cherishes their children, they're, they're building close relationships. Listen, if you don't get close to the center. Hey, by the way, that, that's why if you go to Acts chapter 8, you know what, what, the, what the Lord, the Holy Spirit told Philip? Go near and join thyself to the cherry. He says, get near to the guy. Have a close relationship. Go near and join thyself to the church. you got to get close. Hey, listen, you got to have a relationship with people. Don't, don't stop and just say, I knocked on the door. Hey, take a list. I said this tonight. Make a list of who they are. And when you go back, remember their name. And remember who they are. And go back and pray with them. And let them know you care about them. And tell them, listen, I want to be your best friend. I want to be your best friend. I want you to come to church. And I want you to learn the word of God. I want Jesus to work in your heart. I'm just saying tonight, he built those close relationships with those people. And he sided with them that he was emphasizing the people work and not just the preaching preaching work a lot of us want to learn the romans road and we want to learn how to witness and we want to just notch one down on our belt and we've won the christ that wasn't paul's attitude paul's spirit was i'm not here just for the i'm not here just for that for all those other reasons i'm not here just to produce i'm here to and so people know i'm here for the long haul and the long term and i want them in the church serving god and living for the lord and notice the third thing he tells in verse six he talked about he loved their souls. He talks about he was gentle among them as a nurse, a church, or their children. He was very. By the way, he's just saying this, be fragile, handle the relationships with care. That's what he's saying there. Hey, hey, by the way, let me just say this before I go on to the next point. You, you ought to be able to go back to somebody's home. If you're doing what verse 7 says, you ought to be able to go back to their home. And they're just saying, man, I'm so glad to have you here. So glad to have you here. I'm so glad you're back. Hey, could you pray for me? And they, take, they know you're taking interest in them. But notice something else he said in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Paul is telling you he's not seeking their praise or any gain from them. He says, listen, I just want you to know in verse 6, I wasn't here. When I came here, I wanted you to know I was not here to take advantage of you. Now, why is he saying that? Because everywhere Paul went, there were were hucksters that followed him that took advantage of the flock of God. Can I tell you something tonight? Even people coming to our church, they want to take advantage of people here. And you've got to realize every home you go to, people... Are, hey, we had a lady, I didn't share a picture on Sunday night. We had a lady that I... I forgot who I took. Brother Rob, I took you with me, that lady that got saved there went to a home on a street i had not knocked on that street in a long time brother rob was with me he just said pastor can I, I want to learn some things and and we we got this thing talked to her and as we did so uh you know i just got this feeling as we were talking with her that we weren't the only ones knocking on her door there and so i normally i don't ask this, but i said do you have a bible i said do you have a spanish spanish bible she said i do i said can i see it she brought me what she thought was a spanish bible it was a new world translation for those of you who don't know new world translation is the jehovah witness version of the bible it's not the bible yeah. And by the way, as I said earlier, they don't have the true gospel. And so I took that. I said, ma'am, if you don't mind, I can either throw it away or you can throw it away. She said, that's a Bible. I said, no, I'm going to give you the right Bible. Amen. And we got her Spanish Bible that afternoon and so forth there. But you know what? I, I told several of our folks, and i got Brother and Mrs. Medrano's on it and, and Brother Eugene, his wife on it. I said, listen, I want you guys to stay on top of her week after week. And, and I'm going to be on top of her too in terms of just contact her. But I said, I don't want those cults coming there because the Mormons have been there. Your Witnesses have been there. And by the way, everywhere we go, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses there, and other groups are there too as well. And so Paul was saying, I just want you to know, I wasn't there to take advantage of you. I wasn't there to get your praise. I wasn't there to get your glory. And by the way, I wasn't there to get your money. I wasn't there to get any of those things. He said in verse 6, I was there for one reason. All one reason. That one reason is that you might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And he said things like this, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, that we, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Hey, we weren't here to give a report back to the church of Jerusalem, the church of Antioch that we were here to be a burden to you he says. we didn't ask you for money we didn't take offerings in those early days we didn't ask for support and by the way when he got to Thessalonica I'm of the belief he didn't have any money and that's where they learned faith-promised missions down there, in Thessalonica. Because those churches down in Macedonia, they learned faith-promised missions very quickly there. And they sent that offering over and again to Paul to help him out there. And we read about that in Philippians chapter 4 there. But I'm just saying tonight, as we look at Paul here, we see he had a right spirit there. He had the passion and his motive, if you would, for these people there. But notice, secondly, in verses 3 and 5, we see the passion in our motive. But notice the properness from our mouth. Now, I, I, I normally don't do this, but I'm going to recommend to you and, and, and to do it with a, a slight disclaimer, a book, it's a, it's a classic that will help you with your people skills, is Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because if nothing else, it just gives you good principles of how to be, to be kind to people, how to ask the right questions, how to deal with them, and realize, there's little things like, for instance, don't forget the person's name. Remember their name. And remember what their likes and dislikes are. You know, and pay attention around you, the, uh, the, the little details that perhaps maybe nobody else would pay attention to. And notice if you would tonight in verses 3 and 5. Paul gives attention about the spirit that, he, that what came out of his mouth represented the spirit of the man. That's right. you hear what I said? Yes, what comes out of your mouth represents the spirit of the man. Notice some things he says here about that. He says, for our exhortation. Now that's interesting. In your witnessing, are you exhorting? He says in verse 5, Neither any time use we flattering words. Now, let me say this tonight. Not everyone here, not every, and this is true of all churches, not everyone here likes to talk. They like to talk one-on-one with people they know, but they're very uncomfortable with people they don't know. And some of us struggle to find the right words, and God understands and knows that. But then on the other hand, there's some who have a way with words and they have such a way with words, they can get people to do whatever they want them to do. That's manipulation. Now, manipulation is not right either. In fact, it's bad. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Neither at any time use we flattering words. Okay? You know, you can be a salesman, but if you're a salesman, where's the Holy Spirit? You can't be a salesman in this matter. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit of God to guide and lead you. So he says, in verse, he says here in verse 6, he says, excuse me, verse 5, neither at any time. Now, Paul was eloquent. If you know anything about his resume now, he could preach. And Paul knew his, he knew, his, he knew his Bible. He knew his Old Testament. I mean, come on, he grew up at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, he was well-trained. But he said, notice, neither, he says, at any time did we use flattering words, as you know. Nor a cloak of covetousness. We didn't we didn't try to hide and shroud what we were doing. And he said this verse five God is witness. Yeah. And he goes on, verse three. He says, For exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. He was saying this, listen, we didn't use flattery. We didn't try to flatter you to Christ. We weren't fraudulent or misleading. And by the way, be careful. You gotta be careful how you say things that and being misleading. And be careful when you tell people the gift of eternal life is free. Tell them it's free, but also tell them it wasn't free for Jesus. It cost him his life. Be careful that you're not misleading because sometimes people think what's free, then I don't have to live for Christ. That's not what it means. Just because you told him he's free, there's an obligation to that too. The obligation is that he died for all, that they which lived should henceforth not live to themselves, but unto him which died for him gave, him, gave his life for them. Amen? Yeah. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And you need to show that to them after they get saved. If any man be Christ, he's the new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you've got to show them that in, in, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that's good that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the Bible tells us in verse 10 that we are his creation created under good works yep. That's right. you have a new life you have a new beginning Jesus told the woman that, that, was, that they wanted the stone he says go and sin no more you don't go back to your old ways and you don't live the same way you do. And you don't go up in the refrigerator and, and chuck down a six, like six-pack of beer like you did. And you don't go back and living a profligate life and living the way. Listen, if you're truly saved and born again, you're repentant of your sins, there has to be a change in your life. Hey, don't mislead them. Tell them the greatest thing that ever happened is getting Jesus into your heart. Amen. Amen. I've said this many times. When I got saved, man, as an eighth grader, I was bad. Brother AJ, you wouldn't have wanted me in the youth group when I was an eighth grader, man. You would have kicked me out the first day. I was bad. Man, when, you're, when your friends in eighth grade tell you, they say, Fong, if you don't clean up your mouth, you're going to get killed one day. That's pretty bad. I mean, every other word came in my mouth when I wasn't home was a, was a curse word. When I got saved, listen, the day after I got saved, I tried to get it out. And it didn't come out. That was God. It didn't come out. It didn't come out. That's God. I had no desire for the Bible before I got saved. But the next day, even though as I opened the Gospel of Matthew, started reading the genealogy, I'm wondering, what's that got to with the Christian life? I just kept on reading. Then I got the Sermon on the Mountain. Man, my life got changed. Yes. Go Amen. Don't be misleading. But notice something else he says in verse 5. He said, in verse 3, he says, For exhortation was not of deceit. We weren't fraudulent misleading and nor of uncleanness. It wasn't filthy. Hey, let me warn you today, you know, this watered-down Christianity that's out in the marketplace, you know, you don't talk down on their level. You bring up the level of God. Don't use filthy talk, and don't use filthy speech, and don't talk like the world or use nasty speech there. And he says, he says this, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Don't be a fake Christian. Hey, I don't know about you, but every time I witness to somebody, I get convicted about my own life. I do. Because I'm talking about the glory of the Christian life, what Jesus could do for me, and as I start talking about it, I thought, Lord, I'm, I'm confessing sins under my breath right then and there. You know, say, so God, help me in this area of my life. I'm, I'm telling about what Jesus did for me, but man, I let the old flesh get in the way. And I, you know what I'm talking about? That happens to you too, amen. You know. I'm saying to say tonight, we have to understand this evening, there must be a passion in our motive. That passion, Paul said, I'm a desirous of you. I'm willing not just to give you the gospel, only, I want to give you my own soul. But then he talked about the properness of his mouth. He said, listen, out of our mouth, we better be careful that a word fitly spoken like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Amen? But then he says something else that gets us. Notice what he says later on in verses 7, 10, and 11. He says he talks about the principles and our methods In verse 7, he talks about the metaphor of a nursing mother. And Paul used, used metaphors that were very understandable. I mean, you think about a nursing mother. Baby feels comfortable. The baby feels secure. The baby feels safe. The baby feels the warmth of the mother. The baby wants a close relationship. Listen, a person that you're trying to win to Christ, listen, they won't tell you this, but they, want, they need a close relationship. And verse 11, he uses the metaphor of an encouraging father. Do you notice verse 11? And I like how Paul consists. He says, as you know, as you know, as you know. He says, you know how we exhort it and comfort it and charge every one of you. you now, guys, especially dads tonight, all of us as dads. Let's underline those three words. Exhort it, comfort it, and charge If you're a prospective dad, underline those words. Dads are supposed to be a coach. Dads are supposed to be encouragers. That's why when we look at this and we contrast that to Ephesians 6, 4, he says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Don't discourage them. He says, you know, he says, we were like, now, now, father, now, now Paul was not a father, but he was a spiritual father. He wasn't, he wasn't a biological father, but he was a spiritual father there. And he says, as you know how we exhorted and covered and charged everyone as a father does his children. He talked about in his methods, you know what? On one extreme, i got to build a close relationship. On the other extreme, I've got to be an encourager. And you've got to encourage people. Listen, a good study for you is to write out all the wonderful things about Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the bread of life. He's the living water. Amen. He's the fountain of life. He's the good shepherd. He's the door. Amen. He's the vine. And listen, you look at all those wonderful things about Jesus. and You look and he's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairs of 10,000. Of my soul. You write about all those things about Jesus. You want to be able to go there and give somebody just an understanding in your heart that your heart is overflowing about Jesus Christ. That God has put a new song in your heart, even praising to the Lord. And you want them to know how much you love Jesus. And you can talk about Jesus in a very wonderful, eloquent way. And you can paint a beautiful picture for somebody to realize who Jesus Christ is listen don't tell me that doesn't encourage somebody to get saved amen then notice verse 9 we're talking about the principles and his methods but you notice verse 9 for you remember and I think he brought that up because during the short time he was with them and the report he got back from Timothy they said things like this you know we remember Remember, we remember. I remind you tonight, sinners remember. And here's what they remember. Look at verse nine. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail. Now we saw that word labor three lessons ago, back in chapter one. It's not your typical word that speaks about, you know, like ergon, working. It means basically being broken and sorrowed, to labor with sorrow, with a broken heart. He said, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail. He speaks about the heartache and the exhaustion and the discipline. And listen, he went three straight Sabbath weeks before he saw a convert. Now you say, well, that's not bad. Hey, listen, you have to understand where he's coming from. He looked on their faces and just like with Stephen. They gnashed on him with their teeth. Okay, you have to remind yourself when he went there, he was wondering by that after that third Sabbath day, I wonder if there's going to be any fruit here. I mean, he got discouraged because that happened to him at Corinth. I mean, in Corinth, they, they got, he, he, you know, he shook off his feet there at Corinth and, and he says, your blood be upon your own. And he got discouraged and he went to the house of Christmas there and then people got saved. But, you know, Paul got discouraged there. And Paul gave himself, I mean, he's talking about giving his soul, soul away. And he talks about here, the labor there, he was serving with a broken heart. And when he talks about the rejection and the disappointment. And by the way, not everybody got saved. And the ones who didn't get saved, that kind of just discouraged him a little bit there. But he talks about his labor. He worked with a broken heart. And then he used the word travail. He used the word travail here, and he used the word travail over in Galatians chapter 4. And, you know, travail is the birth pangs of a woman. That's the hard, hardship she goes through when she's giving birth. And he described, giving, listen, he's describing the spiritual birth. Bringing somebody into Jesus Christ was like a birthing process. It hurt, and there was labor, and there was difficulty. Listen, if it's too easy for you, I don't even know if they're getting saved. I remind you, it's work to get people saved. It's labor to lead them to Christ. It's labor to go back the eighth and ninth time. Listen, it hurts you because in the beginning they're against you. But boy, praise God when they get saved. Amen. Amen. He worked around the clock. Look what he says there. For you remember, brother, our labor, for laboring night and day. Man, we just asked you to go one hour a week, and he did it night and day. Yes, sir. Let me tell you tonight, you're not gonna, we're not going to build a church. We're just doing one hour a week. That's right. That's right. Right. We'll to... Laboring That's right. night and day, seven days a week. Because we would not be charged with any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. Number one, he said this, in those early days, He didn't even take an offering from them. Well, you're thinking, okay, pastor, that means we're not going to take up offerings. No, that's not what I'm saying there tonight, amen? But what he is saying there is, you know, these are, these are people, they're not, they don't even understand what's going on. They've got to learn this. He says, we didn't, we didn't, want, being, we didn't want you feeling like you had any of In fact, his attitude is what he wrote about in Romans. He said, we are debtors unto you. He says, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I say one word? You want two words that you're going to write next to verse 9 in the margin there? Hard work. Building a church is hard work. Building a ministry is hard work. The winning of souls is hard work. Our college department just got back from their spring advance, and next week, our teens will go. Brother Irwin took the brunt of just preaching three or four messages this week, and next week, Brother AJ and another other men are going to be preaching, and they've got a number of messages, and they still got to come back Sunday, and I'll tell you what, that's hard work. It's hard work. And you pour yourself into it and you're praying because you know in that audience, so you know those who are not saved and you're praying they'll get saved and they hear the gospel message. And, and there's, a little bit of a, there's, a, there's a little bit of the personal side of it. There's a little bit of a letdown inside of it they don't get saved. I can to tell you how many Sundays I look across the auditorium. and I know wrong the auditorium people are not saved here, and I'm praying and preaching my heart. And I'm praying they'll get saved there, and they don't get saved. And you wonder, did I just mess up? Did I go too long? Did I go too short? Did I do this, do that? But God's been working. But, you know, inside of you, there's the personal side. He says there's that letdown. That they didn't get saved. I can't tell you how many homes we go to. We've given the gospel to people, and they didn't get saved. They, didn't, they, didn't, they just didn't, weren't ready there. They gave their rejections. They said we're not ready yet. And they gave the reluctance. But you just got to keep on going there. But notice something else. Notice verse ten. Verse ten. Notice he says here: "For you are witnesses, and God also." and that's important. There, we're talking about the right mode of the spirit. How holily, and justly, and unblamably we behave ourselves among you that believe. You know what Paul's talking about there? You want to write this down? He speaks of the godly testimony. We must maintain. Heritage Baptist Church, we need to have a good name. We need to keep a good name. We need a good name in the community. You need a good name at work. You need a good name at school. You need a good name in your neighborhood. Listen, the cleanest front yard of every home should be the Christian's home. The, most, the people that are the, the most cheeriest and most excited about things ought to be the Christian in that block and the Christian at that school. And Paul is saying here, we live holily justly and unblamably. hey listen Paul did not burn any bridges there Paul Paul didn't do anything he would later regret, and that's always a good thought for us. Don't do something later on that you're going to regret. Let me say this tonight. Paul did not have an email or paper trail that one day would say he was a hypocrite. Paul did not he was ultra careful that he did not mar or hurt the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 10. He says, For you are witnesses in God also how holily and justly and blamely we behave yourselves among you that believe. You know what he's saying there? They had they had they had the benchmark of the synagogue. They had the benchmark of their pay good works, pagan society. You know what Paul was saying there? i, I got to raise the bar because there's a benchmark of the testimony we need to have for Jesus Christ. How and unjustly, and unbladed. He was fair in his dealings. He was right in his dealings. He paid his bills on time. He didn't get it, let his credit cards get overdue. I mean, whatever it was that would have been in the practice of the day, he did everything that glorified and honored God. He upheld held a godly testimony. Hey, you know what, tonight, that's the spirit we need to have. We need to have a spirit that's passionate. We need to have a spirit that's proper in, its, in, in, its, in, in, in our mouth. And we need to, the principle. We must be people that have principle in our methods, and make sure our methods are consistent with what gives glory and honor to God. And so tonight, as we look at the, we look at the motive of the, of the faithful soul, and we see the splendor. The gospel is dependable. There's only one true gospel. We know that tonight that the gospel is deposited into our trust. We see the spite of the gospel. We realize that there are hostilities. And by the way, they're going to continue to go. There's, there's hostilities. And Paul went through these cruel beatings. But through that, the, Paul got a holy bonus for the gospel. And then we see the spirit that we need to have. There's the motive and the mouth, the method. But notice we close tonight. Would you notice one more thing we're done? Notice in verse, as we close tonight this chapter here, would you notice the spoils of the gospel? Now, these are the motives that Paul had that kept him going. These are motives I want to encourage you about tonight. The spoils of the gospel I refer to here is, are the gain, the goods, the prize. You know, we used to term the spoils of war. At the end of everything here, what was the end result? What was the product? And I want you to notice tonight as we think about the, 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 what Paul went through, the right spirit. Dealing with the spitefulness of the opposition. And dealing with the fact that, that, that he was given the entrustment of the gospel. That Paul got what we get. He got to earn the benefit of the spoils of the gospel ministry. As we close tonight, what you notice in verse 12, the first spoil he mentions in verse 12 says, that you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. You know, the first spoil we want to see, the first prize we see are disciples of Jesus Christ. The end goal, the spoils of why we do what we do in preaching the gospel and reaching people for Christ is to see people live for Christ, amen? Disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, people live for God. And let me challenge you tonight. You produce what you are, and it might be a good thing for us tonight to just to step up in our commitment and step up in our desire and to say, listen, I'm going to be a disciple that carries my cross for Jesus so that I can explain that to somebody else, why that's a good thing and why it pays to serve Jesus. But bless God, there are the dividends alongside that go with that. Amen? Paul said, did all that. That you would walk worthy of God, who has called you to his kingdom. You know what he said there? I did all that. so said you'd have the right model. You'd have the right example. That you realize that I may not, I'm not here anymore, but I gave you enough example how to live the Christian life and how to go on for God. So spoils, number one, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. But go down to the end of the chapter. Notice verses 19 to 20. For he said, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. Hey, the first boy with disciples of Jesus Christ. But notice verse nineteen twenty. 20. This applies to every soul winner. It's the crown of rejoicing. Amen. We'll spend more time on that next time. But he talks about what is our hope or joy. And he's talking about in eternity. He's, you know, he's saying there in eternity, our, our crown of rejoicing. No, there'll be souls in heaven because people got saved. Hey, listen, our goal is to populate heaven with more souls that get saved. Amen. Amen. So, tonight we're looking at the motives we need to have as Christians. Desmond Doss was a medic in World War II. He was part of the 1st Battalion, 307th, 307th Infantry, the 77th Division Infantry. Because of his beliefs, he did not want to carry a gun into war, but he was willing to be a medic. And he was, he was sent out with this battalion, their division. Over to Okinawa. And there in Okinawa, if you know anything about your war history, they, was, they were engaged in the Battle of Okinawa. In the Battle of Okinawa, there was a, there was a ridge, or some of you may be familiar with this from, from history, but it was called Hacksaw Ridge. It was an overlooking cliff area that was a stronghold of the Japanese at that time. And, and so they, they, the Americans knew they had to claim that stronghold, which they nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge. They had to claim that. And the battle ensued between the Americans and the Japanese during World War II. It was a horrific battle, there were a lot of casualties. And this man, Desmond Doss, who was a medic there, was watching from the sidelines, and, and he's watching all these bodies that were there of Americans there, and, and bullets are flying everywhere, and they're just wondering what's going on, and you know, they were getting the report they, need to, they needed to back off and leave the bodies there, but Desmond Doss was moving inside of his heart with a sense of patriotism. He thought, well, you know, I don't know some of those guys out there, but they, they, they could have been my brothers or some of my sons, and he said, you know, someone's got to help them. Someone's got to determine how many of them are still alive and wounded, and to the amazement of everyone, Desmond Doss, for over 12 hours, went back and forth with bullets flying everywhere in the midst of enemy fire right in the midst of the fire he was retrieving and checking bodies and retrieving and pulling bodies back And he brought back wounded soldiers they said over a 12-hour period of time he recovered and pulled back 75 wounded Americans along the way he caught a he caught a bullet that shattered his left arm and left him with a with a compound fracture that he never recovered from and he had pieces of shrapnel that blew up that was inside his body and yet in spite of that Desmond Dawes went back and forth back and forth to recover these bodies and bring these men out and even at that time as he did so. He took one body at a time and he made a makeshift gurney. And with this makeshift gurney, he lowered them over that cliff there at Hacksaw Ridge to get them down to safety. And he did one at a time. You can imagine for over 12 hours period of time, this man who was wounded and bleeding and needed medical help himself was caring more about the needs of all these other soldiers that needed help. They say that they had to put put him on a gurney as well and they were going to carry him down out of there because he was wounded so badly. But he saw another fellow American there that needed help. He rolled himself off the gurney and he crawled over over to the man and got him on the he got him and helped the other I mean he was amazed at all that they said there 1945 President Harry Truman 1947 excuse me President Harry Truman gave him the Congressional Medal of Honor you ought to read the speech about how President Truman just talked about what this man did and along the way people were asking they said they said Desmond how'd you do this you were injured you were bleeding out you had a shattered left arm which he never recovered from He said, you were hurting and you were on your stretcher on your own. How did you do it? I mean, for 12 hours, the bullets flying by, you were in mortal danger. I mean, you could have lost your life. And he said, listen, every time I went out to body, I just said one thing to God. He says, Lord, just give me one more. Lord, just give me one more. And I think that needs to be our prayer. Then we go sowing, Lord, just give me one more. Lord, just give me one more. I may be hurting, but Lord, just give me one more. Lord, it may be difficult, but Lord, just give me one more. Listen, what motivated that man was the fact that if he could just get one more man and bring him to safety. If he could get one more wounded man and bring him out. And let me say tonight, our motive for going soul winning, our motive for being a faithful soul is to have that same attitude. Lord, just give me one more. 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 And may I say tonight, maybe for some of us here tonight, Lord, help me to get the first one. Lord, help me to get the first one. Lord, Lord, it's been a long time. Hey, we need to have the attitude, a Desmond does. Lord, help me just get one more. Maybe for some of us tonight, it's just say, Lord, help we get the first one tonight. And so tonight, as we look at the Apostle Paul, thank God for his spirit. Amen. Passion in his motive, proper in his mouth, principles in his methods. We have a lot to learn. if We're going to be motivated to serve Jesus Christ and win souls to him. Father, tonight, we ask that you help us to follow the model of our Apostle Paul this evening. And realizing that what we do is not in vain. The people we're reaching for Christ, it's not in vain. And tonight, I pray that you help us have the spirit of of a Desmond Doss that's saying, Lord, just one more. Just one more. Father, across the room, I pray that you'd help us to realize, Lord, we're talking about soul winning, but we're talking about faithful soul winning. Convince us in our heart this evening that there's only one true gospel. And the gospel has been deposited to us. And remind us tonight that, Lord, in spite of the spite that others have to the gospel, in spite as Paul went through the hostile beatings, we must have a holy boldness. And, Lord, we must have an honest belief that, Lord, that our entrance unto others is not in vain. And then tonight we ask that you help us to look at the bigger picture and that eventually the spoils of the gospel ministry, O Lord, souls in heaven, and Lord, it's seen people that live for God. Disciples of Jesus Christ, walking worthy of the Lord into all pleasing. Father, I pray this evening that you mobilize us with these opportunities you've given our church for the gospel ministry. Help us to use those opportunities for your glory. Every service these next few weeks, having someone come to hear the gospel. And getting saved, maybe tonight, someone here tonight, they don't realize that they need to get saved. Tonight, I pray that they get saved tonight. I pray for anyone here this evening who's not 100% sure that if they were to die today, that they can go to heaven. Help them to know tonight they can be saved. Their sins can be forgiven. Their sins can be washed away and the gift of eternal life can be theirs. Thank you tonight that the Bible says that even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, save souls. Tonight, enable us. Lord, use us this evening. Bless this invitation time. We pray for the glory of God. We pray for this this evening in Jesus' name. The pianist is going to play. We're not going to wait. I'm going to ask you to come. Take your stand for Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Take your place for Christ. Maybe tonight, maybe like Desmond Doss, you need just one more. Just one more. And maybe for some tonight, maybe the first one, maybe the second one. How about it tonight? How about it tonight? Let's get moving our heart to be the faithful soul winner. Paul was faithful in what he did. Just be faithful tonight. praying around the room, maybe there's some names that God put on your mind. I hope that you'll write them down tonight on the prospect card and pin it up on that cross. Let's fill that cross up with names. We're praying over the names for souls to be saved. God, lay on your heart, people, to bring to the upcoming revival meetings on Sunday through Wednesday. Make that extra effort. I'm thankful last night one of our church members was celebrating their birthday and they had a their sister-in-law came and they were able to lead their sister-in-law to Christ last night. One of our staff men was while he was doing something else, he was able to witness to a landscaper and led the man to Christ yesterday. I'm saying, listen, we need to do everything we can to reach people with the gospel. Would you help me tonight? Let's do our part. Effectively desirous of you. Are you willing to just impart your own soul to them to give what you have to trade places with them so they can be saved? Lord, tonight, thank you, Lord, for the wonderful testimony of the Apostle Paul found in First Thessalonians 2. Lord, we need to build those relationships. We need that closeness. And we need, Lord, the encouragement of a, of a, of a father who exhorts and charges and comforts. And I pray that you deep, ingrain that deeply in our hearts. Now, Father, tonight as we are about to go home in our different ways, get us home safely. But, Lord, you've given us a lot through the study tonight to think about and to ingrain in our lives, and we pray you'll help us be ready for the Easter musical and the outreach opportunities these next several weeks. God, help us to make time in our schedule. Paul, labor, night and day. God, help us to do more than just our one hour, that we do more for Christ. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you, dear God, that we have this example found in 1 Thessalonians 2. Dismiss it with your blessing, we pray in Jesus.